is our God. You can be seated this morning. I'm going to take my title. It's a, just a wonderful coincidence that the last song that we sung is the title of my message. Don't you like it when that happens that way, that the, that the music goes exactly with the message? I mean, it really helps if you are the choir director and the preacher as well. But needless to say, I want to take my title from that last course, How Great is our God. That is not a question to be asked. That is an exclamation of the psalmist. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm chapter number 46. And we're going to look at the 11 verses of this chapter. Psalm 11, 46. And I just want to exalt and magnify how great our God is this morning. Psalm 46, look at verse number 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river. The streams whereof make glad the city of our God, of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations He hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. How great is our God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would pull back the curtain of revelation and let us see you this morning. See you evidently pictured for us in this text. Let us see your greatness let us feel the trembling of the earth. Let us hear the echo of your voice. Let us see your might. Let us see your stronghold. Let us see your provision. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. That you would speak calmness. That you would speak security. That you would speak and increase and grow our faith in you. God, let us, let us look at the the gem of all the universe, your darling son, and who he is in that Godhead person, the three in one, one in three, the Trinity of our God. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes fixed into the heavens and let us see you for who you truly are. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Down through the ages, when the human heart, being, when human beings are uh, attempting to contemplate and to express the greatness of the one true God, there has followed a desperate sense of inadequacy. 
an inability to communicate such greatness. A sense in which there is no words to express the magnificence and the glory of God. When attempting to contemplate the God of the Bible, some have simply broken out into song, into lyrics in praise to God. English missionary Stuart Hine reflecting on the greatness of God while looking upon the beauties of the Carpathian Mountains wrote these words, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Another author has penned the words we just sang moments ago, but are worth repeating. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide and tremble at his voice. Age to age he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion, and the Lamb. Name above all names, worthy of our praise, my heart will sing, how great is our God. Oh, how great is our God. The same inadequacy that many experience when contemplating the greatness uh, overwhelmed me as I approach this psalm. Time and time again, I have found these words in Psalm 46 to be a refuge. To be an ever-springing well of solace and refreshment. Each and every time I have tried to sit down and express the impact of this song to my soul, it has found my words to be brief and, 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 and inadequate. Uh, unable to express such a vocabulary to, to admire and to exalt God. You know, I'm not alone in feeling this way. When Job was given insight into all that God was doing in his life toward the end of the book, Job simply said, I cover my mouth. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, it drove him to the ground and his unclean lips were silenced. When John saw the greatness and the glories of the Son of God walking among the candlesticks with his eyes as a flame of fire and his voice as many waters, he fell to the ground like a dead man. In Psalm 46, we are given a glimpse into the greatness of the God of the Bible. A greatness that is directly related to us in the fact that He is our. If I hope you're here this morning and you claim this God as your own, I want to assure you that all the solace that we find in Psalm 46 is our solace. It is ours to possess. He is our God of protection, our providing Lord and our powerful Lord. Although the words that I will share today will be woefully inadequate, I would like to draw your attention to three aspects of the greatness of our God in this psalm and strengthen God being our helper, helper by the Holy Spirit. Strengthen our hearts. 
notice first of all, I want you to see the security of His presence. The security of His presence. Back in the first three verses, we, we find God being shown in His presence. You know, if anyone in history felt vulnerable to attack, vulnerable from being alone, it is the reformer Martin Luther. After nailing this 95 Theses to the door at the church house door in Wittenberg, Germany, exposing the false teaching of the Catholic Church, it seems the whole world was, was turned against him, was out to destroy him, to even kill him. And yet he found in that time of trouble, in that time of hiding, he found God as his security. He penned that security in a hymn that became the anthem of the Reformation. A mighty fortress is our God, he wrote. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. He is a God that is a very present help in trouble. And just as God was a stronghold, a bulwark for Martin Luther. He has afforded that to us as well. We can claim that same guarding, that same security that was granted to Luther. Notice first of all, I want you to see the assaults that induce our fears. Notice verse number number 2. First course number 1 is the declaration our God is a refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble, but verse 2 and 3, it begins to detail a very unsettling world that we live in. And therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. In these verses, the psalmist paints a world that is thrown into upheaval. The earth is being shaken and the mountains are falling into the sea. I've never experienced an earthquake, but they tell me that those that have say that it is one of the most unsettling experiences of their life because everything that they find to be stable and secure and always there is all of a sudden fluid and shaking, and there is no security. That's what this author the, of the psalm is picturing for us here. A world that is interpreted. He talks about the sea crashing upon the rocks. Here he pictures a world that is turned upside down. It is a scene of a life that being torn apart, being upheavaled, and is beyond our individual control. You know, we saw that several years ago. I was thinking about it this morning. Back in, I think it was 2011, wasn't it? The hurricane, I mean not the hurricane, but the tornadoes came through Trenton. I mean, it seems like only yesterday. Here, we were, I was pastoring in Rossville at the time, and it's one of the, one of the few times that I was really, really frightened by the possibility that a tornado was heading our way. We all gathered down in the basement of the house. You kids may remember that. Kalen was... Uh, uh, I think you were pregnant. You were pregnant at the time with Kaylin. Kaylin was not yet born, but it was a frightening situation. And and when we, after it was all said and done, you went out. It it had torn 
through Trenton, over the mountain, into, into Ringgold. It had already it made so much severity in the northern Alabama. I mean, it was a world of destruction. You know, the potential from some unexpected event to take place uh, that is out of our control can leave us in a state of sheer panic. Something that we cannot anticipate. Some destructive force can enter our lives at any moment, can cause us to fear. None of us are immune to things like disease. 2020 was recognition of that disease. Disaster can come at any time. Death dogs our heels. I wonder, is that the kind of fears that dog you? Disease? Destruction, death, these are the things that are legitimate fears that we have to deal with. Do you live in a constant state of fear? (laughs) The psalmist has our remedy. Look, look at our great God. Look at the greatness of our God. Notice, not only do we see the assaults that induce and cause fear, but we also are assured uh, they see the assurance that incites our faith. Verse number one, our God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. Though the earth shake, though the mountains crumble, though the seas rage, even when every ordinary security is toppled, God is a refuge. God is an unshaken stronghold. I like what one author says. Within the confines of this citadel of refuge, his word of truth safeguards the heart from fainting and the shields uh, and shields the mind from fear. He is our hiding place. He is our shelter in times of trouble. The promise of the word of God says that in any moment when we cannot run to secure buildings and we cannot run to safe places, we can run to our God. We can find our protection in Him. Though the world seemingly cave in around us. And every one of us have been there. Every one of us have seen times when it seems my world is being torn apart. I can run to Him. I can find solace and security in a God that is unshaken. It never changes. He is a faithful friend that is always standing near. The word trouble here in our text, it literally means a tight place. In tight places. Our God does not abandon His children when they need Him the most. He is not an absentee father. He is an attending father. He is always near. He always hears the cries of His children. When the phone rings at midnight, He is our refuge. When the fire engulfs our home, He is a stronghold. When the report from the doctor is grim, He is our fortress, our safety. Nothing can tear him. Nothing can topple him. He is our refuge. Run to him. Run to our God. 
Child of God, have faith. Be assured along with the psalmist. Our God is a refuge, a help in time, in tight places, in difficult circumstances. He is our help. The security of His presence, but also the sufficiency of His provision. Not only do we have His promise of protection, but I believe in verses 4-7, through we see something of His provision. Notice in, in verse number 2 and 3, I mean the world is upside down. The mountains are thrown into the sea. The, the sea churns with the waves of unsettling times. But then look at verse number 4. Notice that word selah. That means stop and think about it. It's a, it's a transition. It's a change of heart. Listen, to the psalmist is saying, look at how destructive this world can be. And yet our God is unmoved. Selah. And then he goes into a different thought. He goes in verse number 4. There is a river. The streams whereof make glad the city of our God. Verse 4 describes a different scene. Not a churning ocean or being toppled mountains, but that of a gently flowing stream or river. The word indicates a constantly flowing river. The constantly flowing river is a picture of, for us of God's all-sufficient provision. The reference here in verse number 4, he says, uh, he says the streams thereof make glad the city of our of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. There can be little doubt of what he, the psalmist is referring to there. He's referring to Jerusalem for a very specific reason. You see, in the geography of Jerusalem, there is no river. You could look all you want to try to find a river that like it's described in verse number 4, flowing through Jerusalem, and you won't find it. There's no place like that. History tells us that this problem was later addressed by King Hezekiah. Knowing that sooner or later the Assyrian army would besiege Jerusalem and cut off its water supply, the king took steps to ensure that Jerusalem had an unfailing water supply. The spring of Gihon, uh, located below the steep eastern hill of the Kidron Valley, Jerusalem's most ancient water supply, was vulnerable. The enemy could attack it and cut the water supply be, from, being, from any of it going into Jerusalem. So King Hezekiah had the spring diverted through a conduit hewn out of a solid rock into a reservoir inside the city walls. He then completely covered the ancient spring so that no enemy would know it was there. And so, because of this, the Assyrians could surround Jerusalem and they could not cut off their water supply. Why? Because it was deep within. It couldn't be found. It couldn't be cut off it was that unfailing uh, unfailing supply that was given i believe that's what this author is indicating there 
that there is a supply flowing through the city of our God, the city of Jerusalem. Well, you know as well as I do in the New Testament dispensation and the time in which we live after the burial, the, cruci- the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, this, this text takes on a, a whole new meaning. You say, Brother Ronnie, how? Because Jesus stood up in the great day of the feast and He said in that last day in John 7, 37 and 38, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. When we look at this text and we see the city of our God, God does not reside in temples as He once did before Christ, but He resides in the heart of every single one that has claimed the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And deep within us, just like water supply into that ancient Jerusalem, deep within us there is a supply from God. There is a refreshing stream. There is a great river from our hearts. Every time I read this text, I, I often think about Straightway Baptist Church, Brother Jackie, and, and uh, one, of my, one of my dearest, more like a grandfather to me than a family friend, Riley Huckabee, and his daughter would, would stand up behind there and he'd pick his guitar and he would sing, There is a river that flows from God above. There is a fountain that's filled with His great love. Come to the water. There is a vast supply. There is a river that will never run dry. I tell you, every born-again child of God has within their breast that river, that supply from our Heavenly Father that never, never runs dry. How great is our God because of the river of His presence in our hearts. Not only an ever-flowing stream, but also an ever-present sovereign. An ever-present sovereign. Look at verse 5 and 6. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. uh, He uttered His voice. The earth, earth melted. God, the God of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Notice, notice what he's iterating over and over again. Despite the outward cries, despite the outward objections of the world, God is with her. Now what are you talking about? What's being spoken of? From the psalmist's point of view, all, it goes all the way back, all the way back to when they left, they left Egypt's land. Do you remember what it was? It was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that followed, that led them through the wilderness. It was that presence of God. When they built that tabernacle, it was that Shekinah glory that filled that tabernacle that marked God was with His people. That same presence followed from the tabernacle into the temple. That Shekinah glory. God was with His people. God was residing in the midst of His people. There I say today, there is no cloud in Jerusalem. No matter what's on that mount, no matter what remnant of the temple may be erected in the future, God is not there in His presence. Why? Because God's presence is given to those that name the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, by His Spirit, is present with us. Jesus was in the midst 
He was in the midst of the scholars as a 12-year-old boy in the temple confounding their wisdom with the questions he asked. He was standing in the midst of his disciples in the upper room. Thomas, come touch my side. Come touch my hands. Feel the marks of the nails. Jesus was in the midst of the golden lampstands. He is found in the midst of the throne, in the midst of the cherubim, in the midst of the four and twenty elders. Jesus said as well, there are two or three together, together. There I am in the midst of them. God is with us this morning. I see no Shekinah glory, but God is with us. He has said where we gather together, where we come together to worship, He strolls in among these pews. He is with us this morning. He manifests Himself as He will. He speaks to heart. He deals with lives, but He is with us this morning. In our time of attack, when the enemy pounds upon the door and the heathen rage at us, He is in the midst. Like the old song says, somewhere in the shadows, You'll find Jesus. He's the only friend who cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find him. And you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. We will not be moved. We will not be toppled in our hour of weakness. Why? Because Jesus is in the midst. In the midst of our home. In the midst of our trouble. In the midst of our confinement. In the midst of our weakness, Jesus is near. Those words of verse 7 ought to stand as a reminder that Jesus Christ is the Emmanuel. We're fixing to celebrate God with us. The Emmanuel, the one sent to accompany us personally every day, every moment. Residing with us, He is an ever-present sovereign. Notice also, Lastly, we see not only the security of His presence, the sufficiency of His provision, but also we see the supremacy of His person. In these final verses, the supremacy of His person is in full display. Look at what the psalmist said in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations He hath made in the earth, he maketh wars to cease upon the earth, uh, 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 unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear asunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in, all, in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. These final verses cause us to exalt in the supremacy of God. Years ago, you know, there's certain messages that have an impact on your life that, that mark you, that mark your growth. Years ago, Dr. R. R. Larry Brown preached a message called, Ain't Nobody Like Him. Ain't Nobody Like Jesus. And his homespun, down to earth preaching has helped my heart time and time again. There ain't nobody like our God. There's nobody like our Savior. True words have never been spoken. Our God is the mightiest in majesty, the strongest in sovereignty, the chiefest in capability, the greatest in generosity. His righteousness never recedes. 
His loving kindness never lessens. His faithfulness never fails. His delightfulness never dwindles. His preciousness never perishes. He is a God like none other. All the gods of this earth are carved with eyes that cannot see, hands that cannot touch, feet that cannot walk, arms that cannot carry. But our God is all these, all these in one. He is wonderful. The supremacy of His person. In verses 8 and 9, the psalmist, first of all, says to behold Him. To look at Him. The psalmist begs us to look. Look at what desolations He has made. Ronnie, you know, people, people like to decorate God with clouds and niceness and everything. What is He talking about desolations here? <laughs> that... that that should be a little bit disconcerting. It, it brings a little bit of an alarm. Well, I believe, again, this psalm is written in the time in which the Assyrian army was a definite threat to the people of God. And this psalm is a response to the defeat of that Assyrian army. You see, the words are concerning the Assyrian army that had come and laid siege on Jerusalem. The, the defeat of Jerusalem was certain, but God sent an angel. An angel and destroyed all the Syrian armies in one night by one angel. It was a miraculous deliverance of the people of God. God not only has power to destroy the enemy, but God has power to defuse the conflict. He can render helpless the weapons of those who seek to destroy us. We may be in, entangled in a deadly conflict with the enemies of this world. We may struggle with principalities and powers, with rulers of this world's darkness, and with wicked spirits in high places. But look! Behold! Look at the cross! The cross is our vision is set where we find that Satan was defeated, that the, the head of the serpent was crushed once and for all. Where, where God has made the plans of Satan an open show, a laughing stock before this world. Look what God has done in Calvary. He rendered the enemy powerless. He made an open show of Satan triumphing over him. We have been given the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Behold Him. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. For He hath prevailed to take the book and to open the seals. Revelation chapter number 5. He is the one that is the supreme of all. We trust in Him. And notice also, we must not only behold Him, we must believe Him. Look at verse number 10. Be still and know that I am God. And I will, I will be exalted among the heathen. And I will be exalted in the earth. Did you notice the change in perspective here? In this one single verse, earlier and after, the psalmist is speaking to the world, to the outside world, about his God. But right here, in these words, God breaks in and speaks in the first person. He says, be still and know that I am God. You know, that's the hardest thing in the world. 
isn't it? When the storm comes, you want to run. When the difficulty takes place, you want to, to run and seek shelter to do something else, to call upon some other help. But here, the Scripture's telling us to be still and know that I am God. Meteorologists tell us that in the eye of a storm, whether it be a hurricane or a tornado, there is a place of peace and tranquility. While all is raging around on every side, there is a stillness in the eye of the storm. I believe that this is the truth that the psalmist is relaying to us. That while all is raging around us, God calls us to lift our eyes and reflect upon His person. To think about His ability to be still and know. Instead of waking the Master, hastily asking Him, Carest thou not that we perish? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that He's the one that calms the storm. He is the very refuge of my heart and my soul and my livelihood. He is the one that controls the winds and the waves. And He is the one that is with me. The God of Jacob is with me. Romans 8.32 He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If God gave His only Son, would He not give us the protection, the solace, the strength that we need to carry on? Why be pulled in every direction? Be still. That's the first thing we want to do when trouble comes. We want to call somebody. Unload on some friend. Unload on our spouse. Unload on this person or that person. And no doubt your spouse would not mind. And no doubt your Pastor, I would not mind. You come tell me all you want. We'll talk it out. Cry together. Whatever the case may be. But don't neglect being still and knowing that He is God. That He controls all things. That I am resting beneath the shadow of His wings. I am in His sanctuary. I live in a refuge of His. Know that He is God. Know that the ultimate end will be the glory of God for His great and glorious name. The mighty Jehovah, who at the command stands, and at His command stand all the armies of heaven. He, the Lord, the ruler of all, is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our very present help. Be still and know the God of who? Who? The God of Jacob is our refuge. Jacob, the heel snatcher. Jacob, the deceiver. He had nothing, he had nothing and deserved nothing before God. And God came to this deceitful shepherd and embraced him and changed his name to Israel. You know what that is? That's a reminder of grace. You say, well, Brother Ronnie, I could never marry. I'm not, I've not been reading my Bible like I should. I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't. I haven't told people about Jesus like I should. Uh, yes, you're shiftless and yes, you're a poor servant. But you're, yes, you're a Jacob, a liar, a heel snatcher. But that's the wonder of the grace of God. Be still and know and remember He is gracious. He knoweth our frame. He knoweth that we are but dust. He is still our refuge. 
even the old dastardly people like Jacob, untrustworthy, unfaithful as he is, oh, God is faithful. And we can claim Him as Lord and Savior and know that we have His protection, His shield, His shelter. The God of Jacob is our God. How great is our God? It's not a question. You don't ask it that way. You say, how great is our God? It's an exclamation point. It's a wonder of all wonders, the God of this universe, who is able beyond all strength to control all of the facets of this world, has incorporated us in His protection, in His provision, to see His person of who He is. Somewhere around 1790, a writer by the name of Samuel Medley wrote a hymn entitled, God shall alone be, God shall alone the refuge be. It's lost mainly, large part to history. I've never heard it sung, but its lyrics are so powerful. Listen to what he writes. God shall alone the refuge be, and comfort of my mind, too wise to be mistaken, he too good to be unkind. In all His holy sovereign will, He is, I daily find, too wise to be mistaken still, too good to be unkind. Do you need the security of our, our God as a refuge? Do you need satisfaction? Our God is a river. Do you need salvation? Our God is a redeemer. Brother Ronnie, how can I know? How can I know that this is for me? How can I know that this psalm is written on my behalf? Because I'll be honest with you, not every, not every person that lives in this vicinity up and down this road can claim, can claim this. The people of God can, but none else. How can I, how can I be sure that He is my refuge he is my strength. How can I know that He is my strength in trouble? How can I know that He is my helper? How can I know that He is my refuge? How can I know these things? By Jesus Christ. God in times past, which spoke by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken by His Son Jesus. And by His death, burial, and resurrection, He has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and calleth all men everywhere to repent, to believe on Him, to take Him as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to claim Psalm 46? You can by way of the cross. Come by way of the cross. Come realizing you've broken God's law. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. You need to be born from above. It's freely offered. He said, come and drink. Come and drink. Come and eat. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor in a heavy laden. I give you rest. Come to Jesus. Come to Him. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here today and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, today's the greatest day in the world to be saved. No better day than today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what, ta that's what Paul told that Philippian jailer. Uh, 
and in the in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That Lord specifically points out Jesus. Call out to Jesus. I hate to tell you this, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible other than these words, God be merciful to me a sinner. God be merciful to me a sinner. Why don't you believe on Jesus today? Put your faith and trust in Him. You know, approaching the Christmas time, all things can invade our hearts. Sadness, apprehension. I've heard the word anxiety so many times in these, in these last few years. Anxious about disease. Anxious about so many things. Cast all your care upon Him. He is a refuge. Cast all your care upon Him for He careth for you. Trust in Him. Run to Him as a refuge. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love You. Thank You for the opportunity to, to look full face upon Your ability as, a, as a, a supplier, as a sovereign, as a shelter. God, thank You. Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit our hearts are strengthened, helped in a time of difficulty as we find ourselves in. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. 379, 379. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Gospel words from William Cooper, uh, a man that had so many fears, so many doubts, and yet God pierced them in so many ways. He penned these words. Let's sing and worship the Lord. There is a fountain filled with blood. You respond. Has God dealt with your heart? Don't miss God today. 